Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Welcome, friends, to today's episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. Happy that you're going to be joining us. We love to talk all things life, leadership, lessons, and we really have a focus kind of in the world of sports and media and books and authors and music and comedy. And today we've got a guy I've been looking forward to talking to for a while, a number of people in my world with my day job running the gathering in the Miami Valley where we connect men to men and men to God have told me Chris Singleton is a guy I should be talking to for a number of reasons. He's got a baseball background, which I unfortunately have not had as many connections to the world of Major League Baseball as I'd like to say. I've had more probably in basketball and football, and uh, there's some really significant moments to Chris Singleton's life. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to chatting with you, and uh, yeah, let's jump in. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, taking some time out to kick it and have a conversation. Amen. So baseball is your background. Give us a little bit of, of the baseball picture, and then we'll kind of jump into some testimony stuff. Yeah, man. So I uh, grew up like a lot of kids playing every sport. And I actually was born in Atlanta, Georgia, moved to Charleston, South Carolina in the sixth grade. And so in Atlanta, um, they call it like the Black Hollywood, right? Because there's a lot of young Black kids playing baseball, a lot of just you know, a lot of African-American families. And so for me, I was playing baseball with nothing but black kids. <laughs> and when I moved to South Carolina, it was different because it, for the first time, I was the only kid on my team that looked like me. It was a shell shock. So it was different, but I love the game so much. I met my best friend playing baseball when I was in Atlanta. And then just, just being pretty good at it, I just fell in love with it, man. And so I played that in high school, was lucky enough to start playing varsity in the eighth grade. And Varsity in the eighth grade? How did that work? <laughs> Yeah, varsity in eighth grade, because our, our school was pretty rough. They had a pretty rough team that year. And so I think we maybe won like seven or eight games that year. Okay. Yeah, I was playing varsity in eighth grade. So by the time I was a freshman and sophomore, it felt like I was, you know, better than everybody because I'd been seeing it for three years already. Sure. And so I was lucky enough to play, you know, mid-major division one baseball in my hometown. And then a three-year starter there and got drafted my junior season by the Cubs. And so where, where was your college again? Where did you play ball? Charleston Southern University. So it's a mid-major Division One school in my hometown. Okay. Okay. Mid-major yeah. hometown. Okay. So tell me more about, and you use that term Black Hollywood related Atlanta. I mean, I'm, I've always been intrigued by Atlanta. I love the Braves back in the day with Dale Murphy and some, some guys that are certainly older than you, but I never <laughs> heard the term Black Hollywood. Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, like the as far as like per capita, like we're the most, I guess, uh, wealthiest for African Americans. It's in the city of Atlanta. Um, as far as the most Black-owned businesses throughout the country, is actually in the in the city of Atlanta. So, uh, I think in the '90s there was a big rush of you know African Americans moving to the city of Atlanta, and once that happened, my parents were one of those people that moved there. Sure. And so my mom and dad, uh, they were together and. You know, raised us in Atlanta, and then we moved back to my dad's hometown here in Charleston. But that's kind of why I say the uh, the Black Hollywood. You see a guy driving a Rolls Royce that looks like me in Atlanta, 
it's nothing, right? If you see that in Charleston or other places, it's like, whoa, who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's kind of why I think about it in that manner. So your, your amount of time in Atlanta and then your time in Charleston split up in your 25 years, how long each again? Yeah, so I moved to Charleston when I was 11, sixth grade, starting sixth grade, and I've been here ever since. So do you claim both cities? I claim Charleston, man. I, you know, I love where I live. I love this city so much. I'll, I'll never move, actually. Wow. I don't ever, I don't ever see myself moving from this city. That's how much I love it. I'm on the road so much now that, you know, living in Atlanta with direct flights would be easy, but I love where I'm at, man. So I claim Charleston hundred percent. So we talked before we started the podcast about food there. So are you a foodie? Uh, my wife is, okay. I like a good steak. I like a good medium rare steak. I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, nothing like that stuff. So uh, I like I like a, a good steak and I like seafood as well. well okay. You, I was going to say, if you live in Charleston, you got to like seafood, right? Of course. Yeah, 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 of course, man. So your wife would have to send you to therapy. Otherwise, you can't live there and not have some good seafood. <laughs> so so talk For about sure. your three-minute version, let's say, of coming to Christ. Like what was going on before you met the Lord? How did you meet the Lord? And, and what was God stirring up in, in that period? Yeah, man, this is, this is amazing. So my mom was actually a minister. She was an ordained minister. And so I grew up in the church, but it's different when you grow up in the church. A lot of time when you grow up in the church, you're going because you have to. You don't have no choice, right? Sure. And so for me, I, I lost my mom in the, the worst way possible. I'm sure we're going to talk more about it. When I lost my mom, you know, that's what led me to having a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. So my mother was murdered in church. And so there's two ways you can go while your mother's murdered in church. You can say, hey, she was killed while she was praying. So there's no way God is real. Or you can say, God, I don't know how it happened or why it happened. But I know that only you can pull me through this. And uh, I dove into the Bible, reading it for the first time myself, not my pastor, my mom. And uh, I fell in love. I felt safe. I felt like I was given so much strength in those really terrible times. And so that's when my journey started. And uh, like we mentioned before, we started recording different uh, devotionals like Tony Dungy and different things like that have, have helped me grow my faith. But uh, definitely when I lost my mom, my faith was strengthened tenfold. So you were 18 or 19 at the time? 18 years young. Yeah. Did you, so we had a guest on here before, a guy named Matthew Sleeth, who had three really crazy things happen in his life at 47 that led him to coming to know Jesus. And the, he said the question he really had to ask himself was, wow, there's evil in the world. What is my response to evil? Is there a yeah. sense that that resonates with you? That date was June 17th, 2015, that, you know, the world, I think, or certainly in the United States, we know about the Charleston church shooting that your mom was a part of, I mean, was there a sense yeah. of like that? Wow, this is great evil. I need to reconcile in my heart evil. Well, you know what, man, I, I think initially it was so much fear and like what's next for me in my, in my mind. But as time went on, it was, it was me teaching that to my little brother. My little brother struggles with his faith to this day. Right. But it was, it was really bad during those times. Um, I think he's coming a long way. He, he believes he'll pray with me, but I'll shoot him a, a scripture every now and then, but I wouldn't say he's active in his faith. But uh, for a while, he said, Chris, it's so, it's so hard for me to believe if mom was killed while she was praying, man. And uh, the chaplain for the Patriots uh, at the time, his name is Jack Easterby. He's now working with the Texans. And he basically said, hey, Chris, you got to let your brother know that there is evil in this world. And, and, and evil tried to prevail that day, but we're not going to let that happen. And so I had to explain that to my brother. So it definitely resonates with what you what you just said. So your brother's how much younger than you is, is he? He's seven years younger. So oh, wow. he's 18 right now. So, yeah. So he was 11 at the time. Yeah. He was, well, he was, he was 12 at that time. He had 12 
and uh, my sister was 15. And so you're talking about middle school for my brother when his mom was taken away. So when people talk about someone in a situation like that has to grow up really fast, I mean, clearly you had to grow up really fast. Now, you, you just mentioned the uh, guy that had an impact there was the chaplain for the New England Patriots. Now, how did that work? How are you connected to the chaplain for the New England Patriots at that point? Yeah, so what, what initially happened was after I uh, lost my mom, I actually forgave the killer and I said, love is stronger than hate. And so when people saw that, there was an E60 done on my life with my mom. There was the Today Show. There was, you know, CNN and Fox and all these media runs that I went on. And, uh, you know, the chaplain reached out and said, Chris, we just want to get you and your brother up here. Want to show you guys a good time and hang out. And so that's that's wow. kind of how I met him. And we have a great relationship, even though he's, he's with the Texans now. I get to speak to their team just about every year and go down there. But that's kind of how we have that relationship. Wow. Anybody and everybody's got a story. There's no doubt about it. We say that at our church a lot, that everyone's got a God's story. We want people to be able to share it. But, I mean, that kind of thing. I I didn't realize the thing about 15 and 11 years old with your siblings. And that's just, again, that's just growing up so fast. So there's a lot of clips out there. You, It's interesting looking up on YouTube. Uh, I did a little investigating that way. And it, it's funny. You look so young. You have to look at the dates to know when each thing was because you're so young. Over the last seven or eight years, some things have happened. And uh, it kind of blows my mind, like, okay, is this him now? Is this him a few years ago? Is this right after his mom died? And, and one of the things I saw, you're a big fan, I get this quote by Chuck Swindoll that says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I totally agree with that. There's a stat that the NFL, keeping it in the NFL lane for a moment, they used years ago that started based on Emmett Smith, and it was uh, yards after hit. Not how many yards do you get total, not how many yards do you get before the hit, how many yards do you get after the hit? So you've obviously picked up a lot of gains since your mom's passing. Speak more to that Chuck Swindoll quote that I know really speaks to your heart, Chris. Man, you know what? I've I've never heard that stat yards after the hit, but man, that is a that is a good one. That's a true warrior right there, right? You're not letting it keep you down. You you get hit and you keep going. So I like that, man. I'm gonna put that in my toolbox. I like that a lot. But I don't ask for, for me, too man, big a fee there, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Uh, for me, man, I think, unfortunately, there's so many things in this life we simply can't choose. We we can't control, right, whether it's a diagnosis that we had no control over. We've been healthy our whole lives. So is our spouses, our kids, and something terrible happens with the diagnosis. Or, you know, some people are more fortunate than others when they're born, right? So there's so many things we simply can't control. Uh, first languages, you know, there's so many things we can't control. But I associate all that with my 10%. And when I flipped my mind, when I saw that quote, I finally started thinking, OK, well, you know, this happens to me. That happens to me. It, it's, it's tough. It's really hard. But it's simply 10 percent. The 90, the response is what's going to make up the majority of my life. And even though I was 20 years old, raising two teenagers, right, trying to figure it out with my wife and my girlfriend at the time, my wife now and trying to figure those things out. I realized, man, it's not about what happened to me or what happened to my mom or losing my dad. It's, it's about how do I turn this pain into purpose, like people share, right? And and figure out what's next for my mission of unity. And uh, after I have that line of thinking, man, now I think there's nothing I can't get through. God has gotten me through the worst of the worst. And if I've gotten gone through that and gotten through it, what can I not get through? Sure. You said your dad died a year after your mom did. So what happened to your dad and, you know, what was that like? I mean, at some point you got to feel a little bit like Job and say, all right, God, what, what are you doing here? Like my mom, I, I mean, I'm young, I'm trying to take care of my siblings. And now I've got, in some sense, nobody. 
My favorite scripture, man, is Proverbs 24:10, And it says, if a man falters in the day of adversity, he's a man of little strength. And that, that means so much to me because nowhere in the Bible does it say it's going to be easy for us. And I do have those moments where I do feel like Job, like, man, things were kept stacking up on me, stacking up on me, stacking up on me. Things are getting taken away. I'm losing family members. But the promise is that he, we won't be alone in that in that fire. Right. We won't be alone when we're going through those struggles and that trauma. Um, I never felt like I was alone, which is such a blessing because I know some people unfortunately do. My faith never wavered, man. Um, but I will I will say this, like during those times when it was tough, it was hard. I had mentors. I had people that were just pouring into me and I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I didn't have that. Uh, one of the scriptures that I didn't didn't really uh, didn't I wouldn't say I didn't like it. I didn't understand it at first. You know, the scripture was saying that we should consider it pure joy when we face troubles or trials of many kinds. And I would think, man, how in the world am I supposed to consider it pure joy when I lost both of my parents? Right. My mother to gun violence, to a you know white supremacist and my dad because he was an alcoholic and his liver failed. How am I supposed to consider this pure joy? Uh, but when I figured out that that testing produces endurance, number one, and that endurance produces hope for me. And I think uh, when I started understanding those scriptures, it finally started to make sense for me uh, that it wasn't just about the promise wasn't that it was going to be easy because I saw that wasn't going to happen. But I just never felt alone during that fight. I know in my world of, you know, pouring into men and investing in men, our tagline, again, it's connecting men to men and men to God. There's a sense like we're, we're all kind of this cup. We're trying to fill our cup, you know, Holy Spirit, God doing what he does to invest in us. And then we pour that out into other people. You know, we can get that. We can say it's important. But practically speaking, a lot of people, especially men, I think, don't really live that out well a lot of times. We get caught up in being busy. We get caught up in, you know, majoring in the minors and not majoring in the majors. So for someone like you, Chris, I can't imagine, because you said when we're done with this call, you're getting ready to go coach someone up. Because you've had the things happen in your life at such a young age, is mentoring and discipleship and investing in other people and you receiving the investment from others into yourself, is that at just the highest priority level? I mean, it would have to be. Yeah, I would say my highest priority level is to, like my buddy Inky Johnson says, he, you don't want to be public success and private failure, you know? So that's probably the highest pr priority level for me, pouring into my family, my wife, my two sons, because, you know, if I'm trying to save the world and, you know, change racist hearts to not be racist anymore, but my wife can't stand me, my kids don't know me, uh, that's somewhere, that's somebody in some somewhere I don't want to be. And I think as believers, as men that are trying to, you know, do good work for the kingdom, it's hard to say, how do I not talk to this, this person that's struggling when they're going through something real hard, when my wife wants me to go on a date with her and stuff like that, you know, it's kind of like, man, this person might take their life, but I know my wife wants to go on a date with me. And I've had to realize, hey, being the best husband and father that I can be will show this person that even when you go through trauma and, and trials and tribulations, that you can still have a beautiful family and a beautiful life. Um, and so I, I have to grow on that. That's number one priority. And then number two, man, I have have realized that there are there are some men that have it figured out as far as with their marriage. There are some men that have it figured out with their faith. You can you can ask them whatever scripture in the Bible, they can rattle it off like it's nothing. There are some men that have it figured out with their finances, with their job or whatever it may be. And it's very hard to come by people that have everything figured out. And so for me, I know this person's got it figured out there. I can ask him that question. This person has it figured out there. I can ask him that. And so I always go to people. I, I'm not bashful, man. I'll ask you a question about, 
You know, how do you make sure you never have eyes for anybody else? How do you make sure that you're staying on the correct path? Like, I'm not scared to ask those questions, whereas some people would probably feel weird or whatever it may be. I'm not that guy because I want to make sure that I'm filled up so I can pour out like you're saying. I get asked that quite a bit at 52 years old, being involved in ministry to the extent and the way I have. I, uh, I believe strongly in what you're saying. I just answered that question the exact same way last week that I said, I don't look for one person to be everything to me. I say, where do I need the sex stuff? Where do I need the money stuff? Where do I need, you know, being a better dad thing? Where do I need to know about, you know, spiritual disciplines? Where do I need, whatever it may be. And I love that a guy your age kind of has that figured out. That just, that blows my mind. So what does that look like for you? Are you picking out people who, if you're not afraid to ask and step into that and you're bold and you say, Hey, I need this. I'm going to go ask for it. You know, do you look to your church? I mean, cause you're still a young enough guy. You're still developing a lot of your relational equity. So is it like when this Patriots chaplain reaches out, you keep it there. I mean, how do you kind of sift through and figure out, okay, who are going to be some of those go-to guys? Cause I think that'll be helpful for listeners to try to figure out, okay, I, I'm not sure where I'm going. Where do I find the right people to pour into me and make me better in every role I have as a man? Yeah, so I look for people that are walking the talk. <laughs> um, if I see somebody has been able to make a goal of, you know, going on this many dates with their wife a year, I might ask them, well, where did that even come from? And, you know, one of my goals this year is to be able to go 24 dates with my wife, nothing less. And I got that from somebody. And so when I see stuff happening uh, with whether it's old coaches, people that were in my men's group, my pastor, different, just not just people in the church, but just men that I see actually walking out what I want to do in my life. Um, that's when I ask him. I ask him sit down, have coffee, or take him to lunch. And I say, man, I need you to help me out in this area of what I, of my life. And uh, all my friends, I'm a young guy, but all my friends look at me for everything. Mm. And so I don't have every answer. And I want to be able to go to people that I trust and say, hey, I've got a buddy struggling with this. I'm not even sure how to get him through it because I don't want to fake like I know how to get him through this because I haven't gone through it. But I know that you have before. Wow. And so how can I? How can you help me to help him? And uh, those relationships are all around. We just got to seek them and, and, and ask for them. And don't be, you know, don't be shy or embarrassed about it, man. Every man is struggling with something. You're either struggling with something or you're lying about not struggling mm. with anything. And so uh, don't be don't be weird with it, man. Just go for it. Well, I think the thing you're, you're also saying there too, Chris, that I'm sure you buy into this. I believe if someone comes to me to ask me for something, help, insight, wisdom, whatever, they're paying me a compliment. They think I have something to offer. So who's going to say no to that? Like, like I, had a young, I had a young kid, I preached yesterday somewhere and I had a young 19 year old kid come up to me afterwards and just say, Hey, how did you feel called to ministry? Tell me about that. And I'm like, buddy, I would love to talk to you right now. I'm getting ready to go pick up my son and his buddy and take him to a basketball game. I will shortchange you if I give you that answer right away. Let me unpack that with you. Send me a note. Here's how you get a hold of me. Let's talk that through, whether it's on the phone or getting together for a cup of coffee, because I want to honor your question. But to give you a two-minute answer before I leave to go pick up my son, that's not doing you any justice and any favor. So let's unpack it. And I appreciate that kid being willing to do it. I mean, he he looked a little, you know, a little bit lacking confidence and he came up to me, but he did it. And I thought, yeah, I mean, why would I not want to answer his question and help him out? And um, you seem to be, Chris, to me, come off as a really good steward. You get and understand the 10%, the 90%, what God's put in your path. How do you steward it for the sake of you? and yours, those closest to you in your life, and then who you're going to invest in. Yeah, that's good. I, I think right now, man, it's funny that you say good steward, because every time that I pray, 
And every time somebody asks me how things are going, I always, this is my answer. God is blessing things. I'm just trying to be a good steward to them. Right. Amen. So whether it's time with my family, my family's healthy. Like my wife, we're, we're in a great part of our relationship. We've been together for 10 years. We're young. We've been together for 10 years though. And so I want to make sure every single aspect of my life is flourishing. And right now they truly are. And I'm just trying to steward these days because I feel sure. so blessed right now. Um, and so that's kind of funny that you, you mentioned that because that's where I'm at. That's where the space that I'm at. You know, will there be more trials in this life? Absolutely. There's no question about it. I think there's a power in knowing that that's coming, though. It uh, doesn't, doesn't have to make me anxious because I know I won't be alone in those times. And I also know that, you know, I've gone through it and gotten through it before. So it gives me more confidence for the next one. Wow. Well, you've mentioned race already a couple of times. I know that's one of your biggest passions. Tell me the name of the guy again who killed your mom. His name was Dylan Roof was the guy Dylan that took Roof, my mom away. Right. And he's, yeah, if people Google him, they would find out probably a lot. And obviously he was a young uh, was he like 21 years old? I think a young white guy in Charleston and, and uh, race has, has just been a big passion of yours. You speak a lot about that. So in the last couple of years, I mean, you could date it back as far as you want, even to your mom's passing, but where do you think we, and maybe speak a little bit more to the church on this than just generally, where have we maybe gained some serious ground and had some victory? And where do you think we're still a long way off? Yeah, well, well number one, we, sh we shouldn't make race a, uh political issue or religious issue because racism is happening, you know, in every single faith and every single everything. Right. And I believe as Christians, we should be the ones that are bringing people together. Mm -hmm. If no other faith does, then we should be the Amen. ones that are. And so I, I think we've come a long way, like during, even during black history month, I look at, you know, people that I'm celebrating every single day and I'm thinking, man, these guys weren't even able to, you know, me and Jeff, we couldn't even sit down and have a meal together when these guys were doing phenomenal things, creating inventions or, you know, Dr. King is reading about different people. So I think as society, we've come, we've come a long way, obviously that I can buy a house. Whereas my great, great grandfather couldn't even buy a home. But, you know, as far as like in the church, we all heard this, this statistic that, you know, 12 o'clock on Sundays is the most segregated time mm -hmm. in our nation. And I don't think it's a terrible thing that some church, some historically black churches like Mother Emanuel have a lot of African-Americans. Um, I, I feel like it was a safe place. Like a lot of my great my grandparents were there. But I do think if, if, if we're not trying to get people in our churches to look different than us, then I think it is a problem. So Mother Emanuel, one of the biggest problems they're having is there's not a lot of young black families. If there's no young black families, there's not going to be any other race, you know, young families coming to their church. So right now, my pastor, uh, we'd sit down and we'd talk about how can we make everybody feel safe in our church? And I said on stage, we have to see everybody, right? And mm -hmm. he made that change. And our church is actually, I'd probably say it's maybe 60% Caucasian and the other 40% is, is every other ethnic group. But wow. I think he's intentional with that. And I said, I also said this, I want somebody on stage that's going to sing with some soul like I had when I was growing up at Mother Emanuel. Sure. <laughs> and he made that change. He's one of my, he's, we're really good friends. And um, he did that. And now when I bring people to church with me, my buddies, my boys that look like me, there's some sense of home there as well. I know it's a new environment. It's, you know, a non-denominational church, which is new for them, but it feels like home when I got somebody singing, never would have made it, you know? Mm. So I think there's different ways we can do it, but just making sure that, Everybody on stage is representing who you want to be in your audience is a great way to start. So what, what church do you go to in Charleston? Awaken Church. Awaken. It was planted in 2013. Pastor's name is Brandon Bowers. I'm curious with all the stuff you've gone through. I mean, we've been talking a lot more 
in my circles about mental health and suicide, whether that's related to COVID and things like that? Do you feel like in your world and the people, you know, whether it's at your church or just you, you said before we got on, on this podcast that you'll never leave Charleston, do you see a lot of mental health challenges and uh, where people might be leaning more towards suicide and with things like that, where that's become a little bit more, I hate to say popularized in culture, but popularized in culture? Yeah, man. You know what I'm, I just as I'm thinking, I remember being on a call, it was like this gun violence and suicide prevention call with pastors and different religious leaders throughout the country. And it was almost like, I think it might've been 60% of pastors struggle because they have they feel like they can't go any, they can't turn into anybody else because they're getting hit with all of every, everybody else's trauma. And they're not, you know, they're just a punching bag a lot of times. And they were talking about how this percentage of pastors need mental health therapy, but they're not getting it. Or, you know, this percentage of pastors are only reading their Bible when they're preparing for a sermon or, you know, it was just, it was just, it was kind of alarming to me. Like, man, this is, this is real in every aspect of life, even for people that are on stage preaching on Sundays, one, one of my big things when it comes to mental health is that I think for a long time, being a man meant you can't, you couldn't have been vulnerable. You couldn't have been, mm-hmm. you couldn't have showed weakness or fear or anything like that. And some of the strongest men in my life, I've seen them cry. Amen. And I think for me as a man, I, I, I'm going to be vulnerable in those moments because not crying and being Mr. Macho man, it doesn't make you strong. It makes you a robot and nobody wants to be around you. They can't tell you certain things because you wouldn't understand what, what pain feels like. You, you don't show, you, you don't show me that you're human. And so I realized for the strongest guys in my life, they're vulnerable. And that lets me know, man, when I go through something, I don't have to fake and pretend like everything's in order. I can be, I can have those moments of vulnerability just as well. We've gotten into some deep stuff here. Let me take a quick little detour. You knew I was going to do this. So I like to have these five kind of fun, light questions we'll jump into before we get back into some more serious stuff. But I call them the rapid five. They're just super quick, quick hitting. Give me kind of the first thing that jumps out at you, and we'll have a little fun with this. So, Chris, you're not that old. I'm amazed that you're 25. You seem so much wiser and older, and I need you to disciple me. But what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Cereal, I'll still say I still eat the Cinnamon Toast Crunch oh, for sure. Oh, Chris. Yeah. You know what's funny? When I was a kid, I, I don't even know if it was around, but I, I like that cereal the more the older I get. And maybe that's why I'm needing to lose some pounds, but Cinnamon Crunch <laughs> is a great one. We're on the same it's page. my go-to. You, Snack, I'd say Reese's Cups. Reese's Cups, ooh. you know, the little chocolate, peanut butter. I still crush those to this day. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a Reese's Pieces guy. I like the Reese's Pieces a little bit more in recent cups. Okay. We're, in, we're in the same lane there. So uh, so do you eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch for breakfast or do you do the late night snack or how are you eating your Cinnamon Toast Crunch? It, breakfast. My son, my son's up. He'll be five this year. So he's crushing Cinnamon Toast Crunch with me. Oh, there you go. But no, yeah. but not past breakfast. You're only doing it during breakfast. Now, yeah, just, just during breakfast for me, okay. for sure. That's my uh, watch games, watch reality shows, watch my movie is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So what is your favorite book you most do or would like to gift to other people? You can't say the Bible. That's obviously the, the correct answer, I guess. But what book do you most want to put in other people's hands that has impacted you? Yeah, the book that I'm reading right now, I've told everybody about it. It's called The Psychology of Money. And mm-hmm. as a you know young man wanting to provide for his family, wanting to do this, that, and the third, it talks about how we can try to take the emotion out of 
or how we we try to say we can take the emotion out of investing and all these different things, but it's impossible. You know, we're raising families, we're doing this, we're doing that. Yeah, we could try to stick our money in the stock market and make 10% every year, but we get nervous when it goes down by 20% and having a recession and all these different things. So, you know, this, this book is really cool. It talks about never giving up what you need to go after something you want and don't need. And I'm just thinking, man, there's so many different life lessons in this book about finances that I love. Um, so psychology of money. And then there's a book called You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Um, and that one's a little bit more vulgar. Right. But this guy was a former military guy, uh, Navy SEAL. Uh, he, he did like the Army Ranger training. It's just it's a really popular book, but I've gifted that one as well. But I will say this. I gave every single player on my alma mater baseball team, the Tony Dungy uh, men's devotional. Like I just gave that to all the players because that's one that I actually personally read. And I know you said no Bible, but yeah, that that's the one that I, I just gifted to everybody on the team. That's cool. I'm going to be seeing Tony Dungy in a few months. So I'm excited to, well, we've met a couple times and I'm going to be at a conference that he's going to be at. So the psychology of money book looks really interesting. Morgan Housel, I'm looking it up and the hurt me one. I've seen that one before that book is like killing it on Amazon and has, and the other one's a little less than that, but it's still got 14 plus thousand reviews. So thanks yeah. for that tips. I'm always looking up when, as soon as you start answering a question like that, I'm looking them up and want to know. So here's one for you. I know your kids are a little on the younger side, so let's speed them up a few years. Uh, you're okay. going, you're going on vacation in like 2025 and you leave Charleston. Let's say you're heading my way to Ohio and you're, you, you know, at least for me, when I'm taking my four kids, my wife somewhere, we can kind of plan out where we think we're going to be. And then traffic or somebody says, Hey, I got to go to the bathroom. And we're about 20, 15, 20 minutes away from when we were planning a lunch and it just doesn't work out. And I'm like, all right, we're going to, I'm not making multiple stops. We're stopping now. You see the exit sign and these three places come up McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger. Where are you going? Chick-fil-A every day of the week. Yeah. Is Chick-fil-A, it except for Sundays, obviously. Well, obviously not on Sunday, yeah. What, what's, <laughs> yeah. What are you getting? What's the uh, Singleton family getting there? What Are you, are you getting the uh, grilled nuggets? Are you getting the lemonade? Are you uh, Definitely you're getting some waffle fries. Definitely getting waffle fries. I'm getting the deluxe. I don't like tomatoes, but I'll get the pepper jack cheese, some bacon on it, get some Polynesian sauce for the for the sandwich, and then some Chick-fil-A sauce for the fries. My, yeah, my wife's probably getting one of those uh, – Whatever salad she likes to get, you know, she's getting that and stealing some of my fries. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Yeah. Everything you have said since we've been on this interview, Chris, we're in total alignment. I do a different dipping sauce for my fries. I always do the Polynesian. The only thing yeah. I don't like that you said is you take off the tomato. I'm a diehard oh, tomato guy. I don't do tomatoes or pickles, man. I don't do either one of those. Man, I am totally <laughs> digging you. I feel kindred brotherhood spirit until the tomato line, man. That kind of hurt me a little bit. Um <laughs> So, Chris, what's the movie when you get su- – you see this movie on a streaming thing, you're flipping channels, you're hanging out with your wife, a little at-home kind of extra time date night. This movie pops up and you and your wife are like, we're not – I don't care what we were watching, it's over. We're sticking with this movie. What would that movie be? Um, I'd say any any of the Taken movies. My mom loved uh, those movies, and so I've taken them over. Well, I've taken them over. Yeah. And uh, I love all the, the different Taken movies. You know what they have? It was, a, it was either the first one or the second one where – Liam Neeson's daughter's going to the, a U2 concert. I'm a huge, huge U2 fan. And when everybody's been talking about Super Bowl halftime shows over the years and things like that, I'm like, put all of them aside. Number one, <laughs> 2002, after 9-11, U2 with a big screen in the background flowing with all the names of the people who died 9-11. So the taken one with Liam Neeson and his daughter's leaving to go to Europe to see the U2. You had me mm-hmm. right there at that one. So, uh, so you're a Liam Neeson fan in general then? 
Absolutely. Yeah. He's a cool dude, no doubt about it. So, and last but not least, a very important question, Chris. Who was your first celebrity crush? First celebrity crush. Her name was Sinan Latham. Loving basketball. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was on some series my wife and I watched recently, but that was a great movie. Her and Omar Epps. Yep. Yep, that's exactly right. Loving basketball. That was my favorite movie in high, middle school, high school, like the whole nine yards. I yeah. love that movie. Yeah, she could ball it up. You know, I've always thought, you know, when we talk doppelgangers and people say so-and-so looks like somebody else, Omar Epps and Mike Tomlin from the Steelers were definitely separated at birth. Every time, no I, every time <laughs> I see Mike Tomlin on the sidelines, I'm like, that's Omar Epps. <laughs> No, for sure, man. That's they, funny. <laughs> yeah, they look a lot alike. So let's get some get back to being serious again. So when people use phrases like when God makes beauty from ashes, you know, he can take what the enemy intended for evil and harm and make it good. How do you feel like six and a half years later, you can speak to that truth now more than ever? Yeah, I think that's a that's a song, right? Sea of Victory. Yeah, they, they uh, elevation yeah, has love, that in there. But obviously, we talk about beauty from ashes, and we all kind of like that language. But I, I want to know how that's even deeper with you now. Yeah, man. Well, well number one, there's got to be a purpose behind everything you've gone through. So, people that have have lost a loved one to cancer, and they go run five Ks with that person's name on it, or they or they, you know, whatever they do, they do something after they they've experienced that tragedy, right? So I think we have to figure out what that is for us. For me, I've got this mission of unity from my mom, right? I lost her in a, the worst way possible from a racist person, right? And so my mission is to do away with that in the church and our schools and different companies that I share with. So I definitely think that there is a plan behind all the craziness that I've gone through in my life. And so that's that's just my mission, man. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I get from it. So- Baseball obviously has been a pretty significant part of your life. You know, I, I'm still amazed. The whole time you're talking, I'm thinking 25, 20. Lord, give me 27 years back and let me be where Chris is when I was 25. So your runway, the green grass for you going forward is long. It's nice. It's got a Psalm 23 look to it. When you look at your five loaves and two fish of the life that God has given you and you're offering it back to him to bless it, what all do you see? I mean, you have a heart for race. You have a heart for unity. You're speaking in schools. You're speaking in ministry circles and churches. You're speaking at men's events. That's how we got hooked up was through gathering work down in Florida. You're speaking of businesses. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. When you laser in and focus it, what is, what is the runway? What are the things where you're most excited? I'm putting my eggs in this basket. Yeah, man. So I've written I've written children's books, and I've realized there are so many kids, you know, not our kids because they're privileged and blessed enough to get read to, you know, when they're two years old, three years old, four years old, getting bedtime stories. There's so many kids that are in first, second, and third grade that have never even seen a book before, right? Unless they're at school. And so one of my missions now is literacy. And so I've partnered up with organizations like Toys for Tots and uh, different people that just see the need when it comes to teaching kids how to read and reading to little ones. Um, so I love that side of things. And you can teach it's sometimes hard for me to teach a 70 year old man to change his heart. Right. Even though I'm, I'm an African-American, I didn't choose to be this color. And, and it's hard for me to, to change some people's hearts when they're 70. But when they're seven, I tell them that we should love all of God's children and their eyes light up and say, man, even if they're from you know, this place, even if they speak this language. And I say, absolutely. There's joy that comes from that. And I write that in my children's book. So I'll never stop doing that. 
I'll never stop doing it, even when I'm off the road, right? Because right now I'm on the road 150 days out of the year. You know, last year I did 121 gigs. In a couple of years, I don't see myself doing that with my son's playing middle school basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to still continue to share the message that I have through literacy. And I definitely see that on the green grass going forward. Hopefully it's, it's green, you know, hopefully I don't have, hopefully, you know, I played outfield my whole life. So I feel comfortable there. Wow. Wow. If I'm right, are you doing a little broadcasting right now? No, that's, that's the, the other Chris Singleton. I've done some stuff here and there, but nothing like structured like he has. No. Cause I would think, I mean, at your age and your place in life and where you've really experienced a lot of good stuff. You're maturing and, you know, you had the Patriots guy reach out. The Today Show gets your story. I mean, all these kind of things. I would think there's going to be some opportunities. And I mean, where do you look forward to want to embrace things where with baseball kind of comes back around? Because obviously, like you said, I appreciate your heart to be the father you want to be in husband where some things are going to be no's down the road that are yeses right now. So do you think baseball has a bigger part to play in your future at some point on some level or yeah, man, I'll never stop loving this game and teaching this game. I actually, this past weekend, I just did a free baseball clinic for kids in my city, ages five to 11. We had 60 kids sign up. We sold out of the event. And so I'm always going to do stuff like that and have people support me and get these kids new baseball gloves, new bats, stuff they didn't have before. So I don't see myself ever stopping that stuff. Um, I've already had different uh, teams reach out, MLB teams reach out for me to be a part of their organization. Mm. And um even MLB itself reached out to be, you know, to take a role. But like I mentioned, I'm not, I'm not leaving my hometown. <laughs> I love where I live and uh, I want to raise my kids here and uh, retire here one day. And Lord willing, I'll be able to do those things. Um, so I don't see myself moving away, but I will continue to love this sport and teach this sport. Lastly, Chris, and we'll end with this, and I know you got some other stuff you got to do, and I appreciate being flexible, and we've, we've worked hard to make this time happen, no doubt. So um, what one thing would you want folks listening? What's the truth? Give them a truth, gospel-related, uh, you know, whatnot, where you're like, I want people to know this. It might be a warning. It might be an encouragement. How do you want to nudge people who would hear your voice right now? Yeah, man. So if I had to sum up just, just my mission, I would say, well, number one, there's going to be believers that are everything politically. When we go to heaven, Lord willing, when you go to heaven one day, there's going to be people that believed every single political thing you did. They believe nothing that you did, but they're both you both are going to heaven. Right. And so for me, my biggest thing is when I'm talking to believers, people that know Jesus, that love Jesus, is that when we meet somebody else that knows Jesus and loves Jesus and they've got a different stance on whatever the topic may be. Let's remember that there's a story behind it. There's, there's a story behind why they believe what they believe. And even though we're both believers, right? And hopefully one day we can both live in an eternity where there is no pain, there is no fear. They've got a different stance because they've got a story behind it. And so whether it's, you know, about guns or about this or about vote, whatever it may be, there's a story behind it. So that's my big mission, man. When you meet somebody else and they think differently, don't write them off. Don't stop listening because they love Jesus just like you do. Uh, but they got a different stance because they've got a different story than you. So that's my biggest mission when I'm sharing with people, um, especially those of us that will consider themselves on fire for Christ. Wow. I just want to encourage you, Chris. I, I think as a 25-year-old guy, your maturity and your depth, your heart for Christ, for the kingdom, all the outlying ways that plays out it just humbles me 
to the core. <laughs> I've said this before with people, but I, I really just feel like this is significant. I would love to be in the same community with you, at least for a season. I, I think we could do a lot of cool ministry together. And uh, I'm just really grateful for the time. This this feels like I've been deeply invested in from you. And um, how can people follow you? If people want to know more about you and your comings and goings and what you're doing, what's the best way for them to find that out, Chris? Yeah, man. Website is chrissingleton.com and all of my social medias are singleton underscore two. So I think about every one of them is verified. So you should be able to check me out there. Uh, ChrisSingleton.com and singleton underscore two. Okay. And as we close, just what, if someone heard this and said, man, I want to be regularly praying for Chris, what would be the number one prayer point you would want people to take on for you? Yeah. Pray for discernment. Pray for me to know what opportunities to take and what opportunities to leave on the table. Um, pray that Pray for health for my family too, man. I'm big on that. I lost both of my parents before they were 50 and both of my grandparents on both sides before they were 60. So pray that I get to have grandkids one day. Mm. If That'd be really cool for me. Uh, so that's all I got, man. Pray for discernment and then pray for health for me and my family. Amen, amen. Well, Chris, you've been a huge blessing. Uh, I know you got a full schedule today and things you're doing. And just thanks for being here with the folks uh, who listen on the Pinkleton Pulisade podcast and look forward to having, having you on here again and having another conversation. Man, thank you for your time. God bless you. Thanks, my friend. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pulisade podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.